You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So, if you have your copy of Scripture and will open it with me and stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Let's hear a word from the Lord. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent visions. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli, now this is kind of interesting. It just took Eli, the priest, this long to get it. So much for the clergy being on the ball. (laughs) Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Oh yeah, that's it. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Now we're going to skip down for time's sake to verse 19. So listen to this. Uh, the end of chapter 3, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 16. We're getting the, sort of the beginning and the end of Samuel's story, and you'll see why in a bit. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now go over to chapter 16. And basically what we're skipping are all the chapters that deal with Saul, okay? So we're not going to deal with Saul. We're dealing with Samuel and then ultimately with David today. But I want you to see there in verse 1, a key verse. Chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now pardon all the skipping around, but go down to verse 6 now. When they came, he, Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, if you will, just a few more verses. Verse 11. Actually, uh, yeah, verse 11. 
Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this story of Samuel, as we see the bookends of his life, the beginning of his calling, and the last and most important deed that he performed in his ministry, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us and show us how you have new beginnings for your people all the time. We go through dark chapters in this life, but God, you have something more for us if we will open our eyes, open our hearts. Let this word speak to us today, Lord, that we may take those new steps and new directions and be the people you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been in the book of Judges for several weeks now, and in fact, the last three weeks we've been focusing on Samson, and we've been looking at his life and seeing a, a very rough period in the history of Israel, rough and tumble to say the least. We see the people are not pursuing God with passion, and it seems as though God is mostly silent. In fact, that's what our text today begins by telling us, that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and we want to think through what that means. But as we begin today, I want to ask an honest question of you. And as, as a believer, most of you in this room would profess to be believers, and, and we believe that God speaks through his word and, and, and encourages our hearts, but it seems like there are some times when God is speaking to us more or more clearly, and there are other times when it seems like God is not speaking to us as clearly. So when the Lord isn't speaking to us, what are we doing wrong? That's the question. When the Lord is not speaking to our hearts, what's wrong? What's the matter? What's, what's happening inside of our hearts? Well, let me just say this to you. After many years of contemplating the word and leading the people of God in churches in Texas and Illinois, here in Missouri, I have two firm convictions. The first one is this. God is always on the move. The second one is you are hard to move. Let me say it again. God is always on the move. There is never a time when God is not moving, speaking, working, performing miraculous deeds. God is always working. The issue is, is that many times because of what we're going through in our life, what we're experiencing, what we're thinking, I don't know what it is, but we are hard to move. Not just you, me too. It is hard to move us to get us excited about the things of God. The prophet Samuel is not part of the judge's narrative, but he really is the final judge. 
He is the one who puts a period on the end of this period of Hebrew history. His work is a little different. He is far more the prophet than the other judges were. He is also more distinctly national. Now, I've said that some of the other judges had reached beyond their regions. They, they, there were hints that they were leading the whole people, all the tribes of Israel. But when we come to Samuel, there is no doubt that we have some unity here amongst the 12 tribes. And if we're thinking historically, this makes perfect sense. Uh, we have Samuel serving as a bridge to the United Kingdom, to, 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 to Saul and then ultimately David. So we see what's happening in terms of the evolution of the leadership of Israel. But Samuel was more than just a pre-king figure. He was truly the beginning of an age of prophecy. Now notice that before him, the Lord had been very silent But after him, not only do we have Samuel prophesying and anointing kings, but from that point forward, we begin to have the message of Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel. All the great prophets begin to minister after this point. This is a seminal point, not just because of what we're going to uh, see in later times in history of David and Solomon and the kingship, but really of how God is speaking to and through his people. And so today, what we're seeing here is a transition, a transition out of a dark period. Now, I'll say this. I don't feel like here at Ridgecrest that we have an exact analogy here. It's not like we're coming out of the dark ages, okay? I mean, some of you probably do act a little bit Neolithic, but that's another thing, all right? Uh, but, But nonetheless, we're not coming out of a dark age or anything like that, but we have come through some difficult times. I think it's it's obvious. We can talk about the things that we go through in, in our church life, or more specifically, I think we all have on our minds that we've just come through a major period of our history, American history, of this COVID Uh, experience, world history. This has been something like none of us have ever gone through before. And and we realize that, that, quite frankly, even though God has been at work all around us, I think there are some of us who would say it seems like it's been a while since we've really heard the voice of the Lord. I was able to spend some time on the campus of Midwestern Seminary this week and talk to a couple of their great scholars there. And we were just talking about how God has moved throughout the ages. And and this one um, uh, professor, good friend of mine, we were talking about the Jesus movement of the late 60s and early 70s. And it is his opinion that that was the last time that America experienced a little bit of the flames of revival. But even that, um, you know, there were the critics of it. It's been a long time since we have felt revival moving, not just in a church or in a region, but in the whole country. Friends, what I'm saying is, and what I'm trying to make a case for, it is time for a new beginning. It's time for God to begin a new age among us where the word of God is is preached and people hear it. Because I'm here to tell you, I believe that there are scores of churches here in Springfield where the word is being preached, but there are scores more people who are hearing it and not being moved by it. The word of the Lord is being proclaimed, but is it impacting hearts? Is it impacting your heart? We need a new beginning. We need to have a season of life in the church where every time we come into God's house, the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the sermons we preach begin to impact us. I'm not talking about a glancing blow. I'm talking about a head-on collision with truth. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit moving Baptist 
to praise the Lord and to do some great things for the kingdom. I believe these things will happen, and I believe a new, new season has come. What's interesting is, is that God is always at work, and he often uses the same old ways that he's always used. If you remember in the book of Judges, one of the key phrases was that the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon those judges. In the last verse I read to you, that same thing happens to David. A new era begins but it begins with the same old power of the Holy Spirit. And so if a new age begins, it won't necessarily be new in that God's going to do something spectacular in the sense that no one's ever seen it quite that way before. Um, Jesus certainly brought that. But I think he's going to do a work and let the supernatural possibilities of the Spirit's work uh, impact us to make a difference in our life. I believe that that's what God is trying to show us and to tell us. And so let me take you through this text very quickly. And I read those key verses to you. And so let's see what the Lord has to say. Let's look at when the word of the Lord is rare. That memorable passage there in chapter 3. When the word of the Lord is rare. Now having preached through the book of Judges. I don't think I need to extrapolate much on this. Um, when, you, when you go through that period of history and you realize that almost no one is worshiping the way they're supposed to, and almost no one is calling on the name of the Lord, the leaders of the country are like Samson, who, you know, it looks like prayed maybe twice in his life, you know? Um, when you have leaders like that, you have to say that the word of the Lord had to have been rare in those days and that there would have been uh, an infrequency of vision, now, I kind of made a little bit of a swipe at Brother Eli as I was reading the text, but I took that swipe on purpose. I've actually looked at these passages very deeply over the years, and if you look carefully, the writer of Scripture is always saying far more than, than meets the eye at first. Everything about Eli that we learn about him is telling us that something's not right. He is blind, we are told in chapter 3, verse 2. He is unhealthy physically, um, and he is clearly not the most discerning fellow. Now, let me take you back to the, the number one example of that. Do you remember when Samuel's mother came into the temple praying? Praying for a baby? Like, really, uh, before the Lord. I mean, imagine someone in the altar crying. He was so spiritually out of tune that he accused her of being drunk. So instead of seeing her as being spirit-filled, which is what he should have been able to see as a spiritual leader, he automatically assumed the worst. Now, all of these things add up. One of these doesn't necessarily make a pattern, but many of these together show us that Eli was not the man of God he could have been. Sadly, another example of that is the behavior of his sons. And again, we're not all, you know, here I have my kids growing up, and so I better be careful here, but, you know, um, the, there is some connection here between Eli and his sons and the lack of the work of the Spirit, the truth of God around them. So Israel is blind to the work of the Lord. They are indulging in unholy, unhealthy idol worship, and they are deaf to things spiritual in much the same way as Eli they represent, Eli represents his people quite well here. Look at verse 3. The lamp of God, however, had not yet gone out of the temple of the Lord. I want you to catch that phrase. Because 
up until this point, you know, the, the, the word of the Lord is rare. Visions are infrequent, but there's that little clue in the text telling us that the light of God has not been extinguished. The light is still there and waiting for someone to breathe onto that flame and to cause a fire. Let me say this. If you have not seen or heard from God in a long while, if your heart is cold, let me say this to you. If you receive Jesus in your heart, there is still a flame inside of you. And I want you to know, even if it's down to the embers, if you will allow God to breathe on you, the light will shine again. We believe, we do, we believe as Baptists that we, when we receive Christ, that he will never let us go, never leave us, nor forsake us. But we also know as Baptists that there are a lot of people who are backsliding, a lot of people who are in the cold spiritually, a lot of people who are walking in darkness. But I believe if that light was lit in your heart, then it will burn bright again. And God will bring you. Maybe he brought you to this place today. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church. Maybe it's been a long time since you've even tuned into a church service. And you know long ago that you made a profession of faith. And all you've known is darkness for a long season of time. But I am here to tell you, if you will allow the spirit to move and work in you. If you will listen to the word of God. Not to this preacher. But to the word of God. That light will burn again. And that is what we want to see. But sometimes that's going to be a painful process. Samuel is told that Eli is going away, that he and his family will no longer be leading Israel. If you look in verse 11, it speaks of a tingle in the ears. That's not a good thing in the Hebrew. That means bad news is coming. And you have to give Samuel some credit. As a young man, he speaks to his mentor the truth. When Eli says, what did the Lord say? Samuel has the courage to give him the truth. Now let me say this. If there is one reason why Ridgecrest has been a light shining for many years in this community is because your pastors, past, and I will do my best in the present, we have believed that the word of God is power. And we have believed with all of our heart that we need to speak the truth of God's word to people no matter how it lands. The feelings of our hearts are important. It's important to me what your feelings are, but more important to me is your soul. And in Samuel, as a young man, you already see that he understands that God's word is very important to the point that he is willing to say the hard truths when necessary. That's why we come to church. We need to hear not a hard truth from a man, but we need to hear the hard truths from the Lord. Are we ready for that? Are we ready this morning even to hear what the Lord has to say? Because when God starts speaking, sins will be revealed. When God starts speaking to you through his word, it's not all, wow, I am the greatest guy ever. Wow, the, the scriptures are confirming that I'm awesome. Is that your experience when you read the word? Because it isn't mine. I mean, when I read the word, I'm like, what a wretch, you know? It, it, it points out the things I would rather not have pointed out. Have you ever been, you know, especially when your kids do it, you know, they point out your faults and you're like, I know that, but would you just please be quiet? Don't, don't tell me about it, right? You know? you know, when somebody points out an obvious fault, you know, and they hit a little cl too close to home, you know, you don't like that. Well, that's like the experience of the word of God day in and day out. 
It's always pointing those things out. But what will you do when God brings them to your mind, when you begin to realize that these things are not just minor problems, but they're what the Bible calls sins in our heads and in our hearts? Well, there's only one option, and that's to repent. That's why we have the altar calls at the end of the service, not because you need to come every Sunday, but if you have sin in your heart, and if God is convicting you of sin, then the opportunity to repent, I think, needs to be offered. We cannot allow the sin to stay. Samuel is a man who will not allow one word of God to fall to the ground. Look at verse 19. That has to be who we are as the people of God. The time had been before this that the word of the Lord was rare. But when Samuel came along, he realized that every word that he received from God could not be dropped. It's kind of like dropping a pass in football, right? It's an incompletion. And I think that many times on Sundays, the word is passed your way and we're dropping the ball. But when we are faithful, not only will we say the word when it needs to be said, but we will receive the word. Let me go back to what I said a moment ago. I do not believe that we are in a period of darkness. We're not in the dark ages as evangelicals. In fact, the last several hundred years, we've seen the church in America grow strong. It has grown strong and stayed strong in ways that the rest of the world looks at and marvels. In the global south, we're seeing churches grow faster. But in terms of staying power, we have seen incredible things here in America. We continue to be a light shining to the nations. I believe God has blessed America. If there is a thing such as American exceptionalism, and I'm going to claim that there is, it's not because we're so exceptional. It's because God has given us the stewardship to share the gospel with the world. America is great so that we can share the Great Commission. And I want you to know, that's why God is at work, I believe, in America still today. So I don't believe that we are in a dark age. But I do believe we are more and more in an age where people are listening to every voice but the voice of God. The problem isn't in America today a lack of the word. It is a lack of listening. The gospel is being proclaimed and preached faithfully in Springfield, Missouri, all over the state of Missouri, in every state in the union. You can find a church preaching the gospel in every little town, every big town, anywhere you go. That's not true in many places in the world, but it's true in the United States. You can hear the gospel preached. The gospel is being preached, multiplied by thousands of times right now on Sunday morning across the land. The word is out there, but are we listening? And that brings me to this question, what is blocking the word in your life? Because I don't want to ask that question in a general sense. Why is the church not listening? Because ultimately you are the church individually. And each of us have a different, it may be similar in many ways, but each of us will have a different reason why we're not hearing God. A sin, a distraction, something. The word of the Lord is not rare in our day, but it is more and more rarely applied. And so that's where we have to ask God to begin a work in us, where we are hungry for the word, where we will have our ears tingling with conviction so that we will repent. If repentance follows conviction, the way for the Spirit to move is made open. 
And that's what we want to see. We want to see a new beginning. We want to see a new movement of God here at Ridgecrest, here in Springfield, and all around the world. The word of the Lord may not be rare as it was in the period of the judges, but it needs to become supreme again. We need the word of God empowering us. But one of the things that will stop that is grief. Let's talk about when our grief is great. Now what I want to do is I want to take you to chapter 16 now. And we're going to skip all that Saul uh, material. We'll preach on Saul another day maybe. And look at chapters 3 through 16. Powerful stories. But when I, if we had the time to read chapter 3 through 16... You would understand that when we get to chapter 16, why it is that Samuel is grieving. Look at verse 1, the Lord. Okay, so God says to Samuel, how long will you grieve? Here we have Samuel in a state of grief, and we know why. Saul, the man that he saw as the, the king, who he had anointed as king, had failed in so many ways. He had done more harm than good. And I can really feel for Samuel here as as a person who has been a pastor for many years. It is so difficult when you see God moving and you move in that direction. You encourage someone. Maybe you have someone that you're mentoring. And then to see them either walk away from everything or maybe even to become an adversary attacking you. It's a hard thing. And all those things are true here. Samuel had been a mentor to Saul. And now Saul has decided to go the way of the world. Saul is even going to maybe attack Samuel. Samuel is afraid for his life here in chapter 16. But I want you to know as you look at this passage, the Lord realizes that that the preacher, let's call Samuel the preacher here, the preacher is brokenhearted. The preacher's emotions are getting the better of him. Not that I would ever know what that's like. And the Lord says to him, you have to stop your grieving. So we can't grieve forever. We must get going. And that's the message that the Lord gives to Samuel here today. And I believe it's a message that God is giving us today as well. God is saying to Samuel, I have a plan for you. It's a new plan. It's going to sound dangerous because I'm going to have you go against the king of the land. But if you do it, I will move. And Samuel overcomes his grief in these passages and he fulfills the will of the Lord. Now let me say this to you. At some point, We all suffer. On some level, we all grieve. But for every one of us, we must stop dwelling on the past and act decisively for God today. What are you grieving? Have you been hurt in church? Have you been hurt while trying to serve the Lord faithfully? Do you know what it's like to come up to that that edge and say, I'm ready to give up and to give in? I don't think it's possible to serve the Lord faithfully and not come into those kinds of questions. I just think that this fallen world that we live in, there's so much pushback. Even when we're trying to do everything right, we make mistakes, we we miss something, or we do things quite well, and yet people misinterpret our motives, our heart. You know what I'm talking about? You know, for nearly 30 years, I've been uh, leading in churches and talking to people, and, and for 30 years, I've just seen one after another 
people like you who love the Lord and have a calling in your life, but you're still grieving a wound from years ago. And you come every Sunday and you put on your best face and you're doing everything you can to just make it through another day, especially another Sunday. And I want to say to you, praise God for that. Praise God for your resilience. Praise God for you not giving up. But at this point, let me say this to you. You can move on. God still has work for you to do. I think about COVID again, and, and I haven't really thought a whole lot about COVID. I've mentioned it now a couple times this morning, but I think the Lord is telling some of us that the time has come for us to get up and get going again. That yes, of course this has been a terrible season of our lives, but we can't give up. God still has more for us to do. We believe that God is able to do bigger things and better things in the future, but Here in this passage, we see a clear word from the Lord. Stop your grieving and get going again. It is okay to grieve, but it is not okay to remain in your grief for the rest of your life. God wants you to go from grief to glory, and there is a path to do that, and it's through worship, it's through prayer, it's through faithfulness. Stick with it. Don't give up. The darkness is real, I know, but the light is will shine in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. So what does the Lord see? Let's take a look at that now. I I don't know if you've noticed this in the scriptures, but, you know, God kind of does his own thing. Have you noticed this? You know, there's like the way I would do it, and there's the way that you would do it, and then there's the way God does it. He does his own thing. In this passage, Samuel, who has been listening to the word of God from his earliest days, he doesn't let a word of the Lord drop. He about makes the same mistake twice. Do you notice this? He almost picks the good-looking chap, you know, the captain of the football team, otherwise known as Eliab. Everybody knows Eliab. A head taller than everybody else. Um, God blessed him with the genetics to be better looking than you. Um, he can throw a football better than you. We're not bitter about it at all. <laughs> not in the least. But there's that guy. And so all these sons, he knows it's the sons of Jesse. There are all these sons lined up. And Eliab seems to be the guy. I mean, he just stands out. And if you'll remember the story of Saul, you know, that was what kind of attracted everybody to him. He was a head taller than everybody else, even though he couldn't find his father's donkeys. But that's another story for another day. (laughs) It's a really good story, though. It's really good. (laughs) There's all kinds of funny things I could say now, but I'm going to move on. Um, You know... David is about, or Samuel's about to do the same thing. He's going to miss David here if he's not careful because Eliab is all GQ. But this is where God says to the prophet, to the preacher, to every one of us, remember, I don't do things the way you do them. Remember, you're limited to what you can see, your senses, your wisdom, and that's Some have more, some have less, but you all have some. But at some point, you have to realize that you need God to open the door. You need God to open your eyes. You need, at some point, if you're going to make a difference in this world for Jesus, to see what God sees. And that's what happens here in this passage. Notice, um, the command is, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, For the Lord sees not, verse 7 here, as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
one of the most important verses in all the Bible. And it reminds us how easy it is for us to make mistakes. So I think this is not only telling Samuel about what he needs to do with David, I think it also is one way that the Lord ministers to him over Saul. I think he's saying to him here, it's understandable why you pick Saul. It's understandable why you're grieving because Saul actually did have potential. There are, 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 blash, are flashes of brilliance in Saul's life. There were, there were some things there that it looks like could have gone another way. And I believe that God is saying, it's okay, it's okay, brother. It's okay, sister, if you've made a mistake in ministry, if you've made a mistake in life, it's okay. That's human. But just remember, God's not human. God sees all things. And God speaks God sees all things and God speaks. To guess wrong in relation to God's will is a deadly mistake. But in the end, only those who let the word permeate their heart and prayer to engulf their soul will know the will of God. Why do we keep saying it? Why do we keep telling you these basic things? You need to be in the word. You need to be praying. You need to be worshiping. Because if you don't have those three things... If you don't have those three things growing in your life every day, you will not hear the voice of God. You will not know the will of God. You will not be all that God has called you to be. So let me just say this to you. We have to ask God to give us eyes to see. We must pray that he puts us in the center of his will. And we need to know that the Lord sees not as man sees. Repeated in 1 Chronicles 28, 9. How many of us are missing Jesus right now? How many people have missed him over the years? The word is clear. I think, read Isaiah 52 and 53. I mean, the Hebrew people, they had a picture of Jesus so clearly given to them in those two chapters, in those chapters in Isaiah. And yet, they didn't see. And I wonder how many things are so obvious. Like, have you ever been in that place where like years later you look at a situation that you dealt with when you were younger and you're like, oh, I see clearly what I missed. Like, wow, how did I not see that? And, and, and so I think when it really, what it all boils down to is, is that many of us are missing the will of God right now in a big way. And let me just say this to you to avoid that. Surrender to God your eyes and your opinions. Give him your eyes. Say, Lord, give me eyes to see. Um, But that's actually easier than the second part. The second part, our opinions. We spent a lot of time formulating those. We're quite proud of those. You know, our eyes just came with this package, you know. But our opinions, well, we worked hard on those. Those are harder to get rid of. But I want to tell you, if the Lord is going to move in your life, what you're going to have to do is do a little old-fashioned trading. You need to trade your opinions for the omnipotent Word of God. And we need to remember that just because we have been given great wisdom doesn't mean we need to talk about it all the time. It'd be good if we would listen. Listen, open your eyes. Where is God working? What is he saying through his word? We're so busy trying to opine on what's going on in the world that we're missing God speaking. Let him speak. Give him your eyes and your opinions. And only then will the spirit of the Lord rush in. 
when you see this passage unfold, you see um, finally all the sons show up. David comes there in verses 11 and 12. And Samuel sees right away that David is the man. And the Spirit of the Lord, we are told there at the end of verse 15, rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, I love this, and the reason why I wanted to finish our series on Judges here is because, again, it connects. What made a difference in the period, the dark ages of the Judges, what made the difference was the moving of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moved through men otherwise known as, and women, otherwise known as Judges, okay? But now he's going to move through a king, King David. But ultimately, the power is the same. It's the Holy Spirit. Listen, church, we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the power God has left the church. We weren't even supposed to do our job, Jesus says in the ascension, until the Holy Spirit showed up. Do you remember that? You better wait until the power comes. News flash. The power is here. We have the Spirit it can rush again. I believe the Spirit of God has been working in and among us. But what we're asking for today, what we're praying for, is for the Spirit to rush upon us. We need fresh wind and fresh fire. We need a new day dawning. We need to know that there is a new beginning for those who are faithful. That those who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Those who have not lived up to the calling on their lives. It is not too late to turn to the Lord today. The years that the locusts have eaten, those are behind you. Grieve them for one second longer and then get moving in the direction of God. Too many of us have been walking in the desert too long. And this church will only be as great as God wants it to be when you let the Spirit have your life. Back when I was a kid, we had a lot of invitations for people to be called to ministry. This week, again, talking with leaders in our state, I was talking about how it just breaks my heart that I don't see more people called to the ministry. And then I stopped and I was like, well, I've seen three or four called to the ministry just in my office in the last year, so I need to quit complaining. But I, I believe that God is still calling more of us. But I think in the old days, we just automatically assumed that the call to ministry was call to vocational ministry, that you were going to move off to, you know, Texas or something and go to school like I did. Now listen, I believe that God is calling you. He is calling you. He is calling you to do your part, your gifts, who you are. There is a new beginning for you. And we need to embrace it. You have failed and I don't quote him much, but I'm going to quote him now because this book title is excellent. John Maxwell talks about failing forward. Everybody fails, but you either fail forward or fail backward. And many of us, we have allowed our failures to keep holding us back. But one of the things that I've learned is, is the best wisdom I have came with a stubbed toe. You know what I mean? The best lessons I've learned were not from my victories, but my losses. Not when I accomplished something, but when I was conquered. And it's our pride and it's our self-sufficiency that is leading us away from the humility and holiness that comes along with the Holy Spirit. Samuel brought about a new day. 
And it's because he wouldn't let one word of the Lord drop. He held on to it firmly. What is the Lord saying to you? What is he speaking to your heart today? For some, it may be, I need to receive Jesus. For most of you in this room, my guess is it's something along these lines. Pastor, I love Jesus. I believe I'm saved, but I just haven't heard him speak in a long time. I haven't felt that rush. You know what I'm talking about? You ever felt that? Like something was carrying you that had nothing to do with you. Some of us need to get back into that flow, to feel that rush again. And that's what this invitation really is all about. The judges teach us the need for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here we see uh, the rush of the Spirit upon David. So all of the period of, of the judges, all that darkness led to David. Now, David's not a perfect person, but he was a man after God's own heart, and he changed the world. Are you ready to be that man, that woman, after God's own heart? Will you come? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.